Hello, everyone, and welcome to Navigating the Noise, a podcast series brought to you by CHPA, the Corporate Housing Providers Association, with support from ASAP, the Association of Serviced Apartment Providers. I'm Brian David Johnson, your futurist and host for the podcast. And I'm Mary Ann Passy, the CEO of the Corporate Housing Providers Association. Welcome, everyone, to Episode 11 of Navigating the Noise, where we're going to explore the future of mobility. And when we say the future of mobility, we're really saying the future of the mobile workforce. We certainly are seeing more and more people being mobile, the ability Mm -hmm. to get out there to work in different places and have more flexibility. But we think there's only going to be more of that. We're actually looking at saying, well, we're going to have more mobility. So what does that mean for people? What does that mean for businesses? But really, how will this mobile workforce affect the industry? Member companies have shared that the more progressive and service-based economies will become more mobile most quickly, and also that corporate clients are asking for help in caring for their employees, and providers need to meet their expectations of increased duty of care. As we do in all of our podcasts, we will examine our subject from multiple angles, getting different perspectives and ideas about the subject in general, but also how it might apply specifically to the future of corporate housing and longer-term rentals. The podcast is broken into three segments. First comes the road ahead, where we will explore futures research, looking outside of the industry and getting getting a bigger picture. To do this, we'll bring in a guest, and this is usually a person who has some experience in this area, who's doing work in this area, or who may have done some really interesting research in this area as well. Then we follow that up with Section 2, What Matters, and James Voice from ASAP and I have recruited corporate housing and service department providers and their partners, global thought leaders in the industry, to bring you the realities of what's important to you and your companies. And then finally, we'll discuss the pragmatic solutions you can take today to prepare for the future in our third segment called Three Things to Do. So with that, let's get started. Welcome to section one of the podcast that we call The Road Ahead. Marianne and I are going to go deeper into the future of mobility. It's been really amazing in the past few years that technology and global business trends are allowing us to do business in a really different way. It's allowing us to be more and more mobile mobile in where we do work and how we do work. I mean, we now have the ability to make a phone call anywhere in the world. And beyond that, we have the freedom to not make a phone call. Maybe it's a text or maybe it's a video call. You know, technology is really driving us forward and giving us this platform, if you will, to be able to do business wherever we want and whenever we want. It's also allowing us to connect with people in really different ways. So how can we use that platform? How can we use that ability to work where we want, but also to connect with people? I think the future of mobility has a huge impact on this industry, and it's an area that really Marianne and I could spend quite a bit of time getting into. So to get us started, we've brought on a guest to the podcast. I want to welcome to the program Rennie Gleason. At Widen & Kennedy, Rennie has served as the Global Director of Interactive Strategy. He created Widen & Kennedy's Tech Incubator. He led Widen & Kennedy's Samsung account, and is, he is now the Managing Director of Widen & Kennedy's Business Innovation Group. Rennie writes and speaks on emergent technologies, humanity, and new business models in the digital age. Rennie, welcome to Navigating the Noise. Thanks for having me. So we want to dive right in. And in this episode, we're talking about the future of mobility, the future of the 
mobile workforce, the idea that the workforce is, is mobile, certainly, but will be changing. And that could be through technology, but also through business models. And I think you would have some really interesting perspective and in, in all of your background and what you do. But Mar Marianne and I wanted to first to start off by saying, you know, what are you seeing today when you think about mobility and the future of the workforce? What, what are some of the things that you see that are really kind of interesting and influencing you? Well, in the in the line of work that I'm in, we tend to think about we work for brands, right, at Widening Kennedy. And so when we think about mobility, there's usually a conversation around uh, the audiences that you can reach through mobile platforms specifically, and we look at them from a messaging standpoint. Um, there's, a, there's a second piece of that, which is behavioral, but I'll, I'll address the first piece, which is the targeting and uh, communications conversation. And what the both promise, peril, and power of mobility is the uh, ability to micro-target and very granularly deliver information to someone that is contextually relevant. And there's been a lot of conversation about that in our industry for a while. Uh, I would say, as the owner of a mobile phone, that I haven't seen a lot of brands actually deliver me meaningful value. That is, uh, brands that are not either creating an actual service or a mobile product, but rather using it as a platform to communicate to me about their service and product. Uh, they haven't. Contextual value has been one of those sort of pots of gold that we've all been chasing after. Uh, so I would say, in the in from a from a targeting standpoint, it's a unbelievably rich uh, way to know about our customer, know about the person we're trying to reach, and be able to tailor messages to them. I don't think we've yet proven the full value of that. So I'll say that from a targeting standpoint and from a media and advertising standpoint. The second way that we look at it is really behaviorally. So how how has people's behavior changed as a result of their ability to not only be mobile, access their work mobily, but live mobile lives. If, if you look at where mobile has been, we've evolved from mobile as a, as a luxury for a very small group of people who could afford the initial technology to now mobility as a necessity. The, the need to be connected uh, and accessible, right, which is a really interesting social contract with connection comes obligation. Uh, and so we look at that from a behavioral standpoint, as we think about what, what are the products, services, and experiences that we can use to connect people and brands. When you think about it from a workforce standpoint, though, it's super interesting. Um, whether you're talking about mobility from the standpoint of a, a, a mobile phone to telepresence and the ability for someone to work remotely, um, it's, it's a fascinating uh, conversation because companies there's a, a lot of people will tell you what companies were formed for, but one thing that companies used to be able to do was they would build walls around the people that would work within them, right? And there was a, a, a time and a place that one would do work. And the idea that one can be mobile and access work, not as a geographic construct, but as a, um, as a collaborative construct is fascinating, especially when you're taking the people out of the collaboration. So, Randy, I think that's really applicable to what we're talking about on this episode. 
I think you're right that that mobility and that idea of people being able to be mobile and work mobile really becomes assumed that that's just where we're going to go. But I, going back to what you were saying, especially in the your view of the world and what you do, is that also the that ability in that mobile landscape and people being mobile that also you can target people, you can meet people's needs, mm-hmm. and I think those two things as a as a landscape for what we talk about on navigating the noise is 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 really interesting. So Marianne, do, are you seeing that as, as you're kind of out and, and working with folks and talking to people about that, that notion of mobility? Uh, yes. So members are talking about, you know, um, same thing that Ronnie was just saying about workforce being more mobile and, and more hotel type offices. They can work anywhere, right? They have a laptop, they've got a phone, they're working anywhere. And so with, as that's applying to actually setting up corporate housing units, they're looking at, do people even need desks anymore? You know, TVs are another thing they may not know, uh, they may not um, keep putting in higher and higher uh, brands of TVs because people are watching these on their laptops. So even though they're putting smart TVs in the units, people aren't using it. Even though they've had desks in there forever, people aren't necessarily working either in their rooms or in their apartments or they're just not working at desks at all because they're sitting on the bed or right. something else or they're just in a coffee shop. Right, because there is that notion of mobility and people right. actually, you know, they don't want to sit in those walls. Like, exactly. Like you were saying, mm-hmm. Rennie, they don't want to do that. So with that in mind, so with this notion of sort of mobility as assumed, that it always needs to be assumed, I know one of the things that, that you do quite a lot of work in, Rennie, is actually looking to the future and seeing where things might go, not only from a brand landscape, but from a technology lands- from a technology landscape, from a business model landscape. So when you look at the future of this area, what kind of things are, are fascinating you? What kind of things are, are, do you find interesting? Uh that is a that is a very large question. Um, so I'll, I'll I'll just throw out some things that we're wrestling with. Uh, as it, and this isn't this year. This is sort of as we look two to five years to six years out. We're seeing a massive shift from ownership uh, to subscription. Right. This notion of whether it's Zipcar or uh, a Lyft or um, you know there's a there's a new startup out there. Uh, called uh, Grover, which actually lets you subscribe to home appliances, right? So you, you literally can walk into a place and there'll, there'll be a washing machine and a TV and a refrigerator. Like you could get, you surround yourself with this stuff. So that's fascinating. Um, it really calls into question the, the, uh, uh, a fundamental, uh, what I think is a human trait, which is if you're familiar with the concept of uh, wine, there's, a, there's this concept of terroir, right? The notion of where a wine comes from, the, the sun, the soil, sort of all these things constructing. And I would argue that a human, similar to uh, a, a, a wine, is, is the result of the place that they are. Um, the, the interactions that they have, the, sometimes the physical geography, literally the walls of the space around them. So one of the things we think about is as those things become portable, rentable, um, as those things, if, if, if you imagine uh, moving to a new town and not necessarily uh, uh, just going there for the job, you might subscribe to Amazon. And that may include where you live. That may include the car you drive, right? Now, there's no reason why companies couldn't look at bundling all of these portable services to provide a mobile workforce, effectively a sense of um, uh, um Residency probably is the wrong word, but a sense of place, no matter where they are. And then it gets really interesting. What are the things you will have in that place to make it a place? 
Will it be geographically linked? Will it be linked to the company itself? Will it be based on your personality, right? So will I take a job with um, fill-in-the-blank company because the lifestyle, the car that I get, the appliances I get to use, the apartment that I live in, et cetera, is, it, is, is that my people? Is that my place? Am I drawn to it because of a sense of who I am, not just the job that I get? Um, that That starts to be super interesting. The dark side of that is that if everything is subscription-based, and mobile, um, what happens when you get fired? You know, right. rather than walk out with your cardboard box, you're walking out with nothing to nothing. <laughs> there's, no, there's no car in the lot. There's no apartment to go back and cry in. Um, so I think what, what we start thinking about or it is human to human interaction, truth of human interaction, um, these, these are important things in how you tell stories. And as the underlying truths, what we hold to be self-evident in terms of, you know, a home, a, a, a picket fence. I love what Marianne was saying. I can't tell you, I, I haven't turned on a TV in a hotel in years. I just flip open the laptop and I fire up Netflix or I go to HBO Go and I, I just do that thing. I, I Honestly, TVs now for me are what I hang my clothes, my gym clothes on to dry <laughs> when I go to these places. And I apologize for that. Well, and I think you call out something that, that I, I want to kind of push on, I think is really interesting, is that the, the notion of terroir, the notion that people will, uh, that this mobility, this subscription, this place of where you come from, that your collection or constellation of services mm -hmm. and renting will kind of reflect that. Also, you may pick a brand, a business, an employment that that becomes an extension of it. A lot of things that we've talked about on the show are how are you crafting experiences? How are you crafting places? And I think that's a really interesting point that this notion of mobility pushes on that even more. It actually mm -hmm. allows, broadens that landscape um, even more. And I think that is uh, really interesting and a huge, I mean, for, for, for businesses and for the workforce, there's a huge amount of opportunity there. But as you point out as well, there could be a dark side to those things as well. Currently, people will look for jobs at companies that fulfill a desire, ambition, or aspiration of their own, right? Mm -hmm. it's a, people aren't just going to work to Google because it's got a nice uh, gym. Like Google as a brand represents something for them, or John Deere as a brand represents something for people, right? These, these are – and when you can start – renting a life outside of the job as well, right? The, the live work when those things become, if, if those things do become a linked subscription package, that's fascinating for companies because what is the shape, what is a John Deere lifestyle? What is an Amazon lifestyle outside the office for their mobile workers? And how do they, how could they, um, how do they badge those people, right? If I'm, if I'm an Amazon worker working remotely or a John Deere worker working remotely, I'm just using those as examples, my companies would probably like me to be representing them in some way, shape, or form where they are. So what does that look like? Um, that, that gets pretty interesting too. Yeah, and it can becomes really complex in a good way because there's lots of subtleties there as well because it's not only the companies reflecting it and the people reflecting it, but then how do you express that to the outside world? What do you want to express? The, do, do brands, do companies, do properties, do houses, do cities present themselves in a certain way so that they can attract people? Right? I think, and, and again, that mobile landscape allows you to put that together to kind of construct that in a really a much more in-depth way in a way that allows, I think, it to be much more 
uh, subtle as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. So just listening to you share that, Renny, and where you're seeing this going, where it potentially can go, but then how do you um, look at that in the context of people wanting to be individuals? So you can be mm-hmm. So if they're saying that you have this subscription life, so to speak, then how is my subscription life different from BDJ's, but we might work for the same company? So where's that customization to me personally? Yeah, that individual. Right, that individualism. I, that, that is a huge and really interesting question because how do I show my allegiance mm-hmm. and participation while at the same time showing my individuality? You know, as, as you were talking, I was imagining, imagine a, a hallway uh, in, a, in an apartment building where different companies have, have corporate housing, you know, is one floor the Harley floor? Mm-hmm. And are they partying till really late? Is, it, is, is one floor the, uh, you know, the, the publisher's clearinghouse? Like, it just, it's really fascinating. How do you maintain it? If you think about it, it's, it's probably not dissimilar to when, when you go to work now and you personalize a cubicle, mm-hmm. right? You're, you're there, you're literally living within the belly of the, uh, of the company, but People still find ways to express themselves through images, and and I can imagine, you know, if 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 my mobile device carries my preferences uh, with me, then when I walk through the door, there's no reason why a smart apartment wouldn't be able to reflect my photo gallery and the picture mm-hmm. frames on the walls, or my you know recently viewed Netflix comes up on whatever the screen is. It may not be a TV, but there's a screen maybe on my refrigerator and in other places. So I think there's, I'm, I'm answering your question slightly differently. I'm, I'm talking almost about mobility and portable preference. Mm-hmm. What you're talking about, I think is more interesting actually, which is portable personality uh, and, and what that looks like, what shape that takes in a subscription-based world. And I don't know, but that's a really interesting question. Yeah, it's one of those areas that you could begin to see it as that, that expression of that digital you, right? Mm-hmm. What is that expression of that digital you that does fit into, I think, part of a brand or part of an area or a city? As People do the same thing in cities with neighborhoods. But I think as we look at the future of the mobile workforce, as we look at sort of where things are going to be going, this really just opens up, really just opens up the possibilities. And I think it's it's really, really fascinating. So Rennie Gleason, thank you so much for coming on the show. I think your perspective and the way that you kind of look at these things, especially for navigating the noise, is, is really interesting and kind of gives us another lens into this world and the future of mobility. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. I uh, hope it was helpful. Take care. Hello, everyone, to the What Matters section of the podcast, where Marianne and I take the broad futures we've just explored and figure out what matters to CHPA and ASAP members, as well as the corporate housing and longer-term rental industry. So James Voice from ASAP and I have recruited corporate housing and service department providers and their partners, global thought leaders in the industry, to bring you the realities of what's important to you and your companies. So on this episode, we're looking at the future of mobility, the mobile workforce mm-hmm. and where things are going. So Marianne, who's the, who's the guest you found for us today? We have David Smith. Uh, David Smith co-founded one of the earliest UK-based service department operators, City Apartments Limited, with eight dedicated buildings providing over 200 full-service corporate-only service departments within the Financial Center in London. So over nearly 20 years, he's seen great changes in the way companies look after and accommodate their employees, impacting the more than 30,000 guests who have stayed with his company. 
David is also a founder of ASAP and has helped drive the collaboration that we've had in developing and promoting the industry's drive for excellence and transparency. So he's bringing multiple perspectives to today's interview. And, I, and David, it, and you're, you're calling in from, from uh, Cyprus, is that mm-hmm. correct? Correct, yes. Well, welcome to the show. I think who could be a better guest for us to talk about the future of mobility and mobile workforce to have you call in with your background and also calling in from, from lovely Cyprus. So thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. <laughs> it's a pleasure. Pleasure to be here. So let's dive right in. So the first question, it's a really simple one. So is the workforce becoming more mobile? You know, with your background and what you're seeing, what, what, what's going on today? I would define two things. One is, uh, from a UK perspective, uh, the mobility of the UK workforce has always been a little bit different because England's so small. So we don't have a a large uh, national uh, amount of mobility in the UK. So we don't have people uh, necessarily needing to uh, take rooms in order to move around the country in order to do their work. Uh, Obviously, that a big sector in the US. That said, it's no question at all that uh, UK nationals are more mobile than they used to be, more willing to move for work. And I think that combines with more employees, employers uh, uh, finding great value in their staff uh, getting global experience. And so they are more excited about moving staff. So you're definitely seeing that that from a UK perspective, that they are more mobile, they're being more mobile, and even that the companies themselves and and those companies are are supporting them in being more mobile. Is that what you're seeing? Uh, Definitely correct. Um, I think that whereas 20 years ago we started, a large amount of our business was relocation business. uh, That has declined massively, uh, I think driven by maybe people didn't want to travel as much, so they put more of a premium on their employers to make it worth their while traveling. Uh, Now, uh, I think employers uh, are finding that people want to travel, that they have a willingness to travel, they see advantages to their CVs from traveling, and so they're putting themselves forward. This has driven down the cost for employers, so they find that exciting, and they also see value in their staff getting experience uh, globally, because we're dealing with uh, global businesses now more than we used to. Oh, that's interesting. So you're seeing less and less relocation and more and more mobility, which is it seems like a, almost a, a win-win, if I can say that, because for in employers and for companies and organizations, mm-hmm. that cost, because they're not having to relocate them, is going down. But then also for the employee, they get the ability to go and travel and be about how, out and about, but then come back home to their actual mm-hmm. home and the place that they love and the family they love. That's, that's really interesting. And that's what I was going to add to that, um, listening to mobility statistics, uh, talking about the employees seeing this truly as a perk for working for companies, that they get to experience other cultures while still maintaining a home base, or they're just living from experience to experience. So that they may live in a service department or corporate housing provi- uh, apartment um, for a few months and then go on to the next experience in the next uh, job or consultant gig or part of the gig economy. So uh, either they're choosing a company and um, a uh, part of their professional career path that will give them an experience in another country or, or at least experience to travel or they're just part of the uh, gig economy going from gig to gig that incorporates the experience to live somewhere else. 
Yeah, and, and, and David, one of the things that we've heard on this podcast and other episodes that this is also being fueled by some generational shifts, that when you start mm-hmm. looking at the millennials and sort of the Gen Z that's coming up next, much like you said, they're, they want to travel. They actually, that's part of what they want to do. They don't, they don't want to kind of be tied down, and also because they're young. Are you, are you seeing that as well in, in the UK and that, that that's also being driven by maybe that generational shift as we have that new, new generation of coming to the workforce? I'm always very uh, cautious of, uh, of, of putting everybody into boxes of generation X, Y, Z, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I think always there are groups of people who are willing to do, uh, to, to do things that are different. Uh, mm-hmm. And one can look back 50 years at you know, the great explorers who were very mobile. It's, it's now possible for people to move much more quickly. Transport is quicker. You can go around the world and get back quickly. Uh, and so it is more attractive. You know, I, I actually, uh, my, uh, my daughter is due to be having a baby today. Um, I said, you know, shall we cancel our trip to Cyprus? She said, no, no, that's all right. You know, I won't need you for a few days. And if anything goes wrong, you can be back in 24 hours. Now, and that's great. That is, that is mobility. Mm-hmm. Um, so therefore, when one applies that to uh, the corporate scene, um, I, I think that, you know, I don't want to put it into a generational box. I think it's a, it is more easy to do. There is advantage for everybody in doing it. And therefore, it is happening. Uh, you will right. also find across all those generations people who don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. That's true. That, that 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 is a very good point. And that's also a great a great illustration of mobility with your 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 daughter having a baby. By the way, congratulations. That's right. <laughs> and I also wanted <laughs> to add. Yet, and, and I also wanted to add that before um, we started our interview with David, as we were prepping, he just mentioned speaking to your cross generations that he and his business partner um, are rarely in the UK. That he spends only three months out of the year running their businesses where they are. So you are living this as well. Um, you're illustrating I'm, exactly I'm very the old. point. <laughs> I did not say that. You are, you I are. am neither. I am not a millennial either. Um, but you know, so it, it crosses generations to to how people want to live their lives today globally. Yeah, it's a, definitely a great illustration. Well, David, let's let's move on to that to, to the future. So, how with this in mind, where you're seeing this, and certainly we've been having conversations about more, you know, more mobility. Again, interesting, less relocation, more mobility, more people moving around. So, with that in mind, and seeing that this will only increase in the future. What are you doing to prep for that? What are you and your organization doing to prep when the workforce is even more mobile or has that desire to be even more mobile? Well, physically, uh, obviously, there is a demand for more stock uh, in order to house people who are being mobile. Uh, I think there are some trends going on generally that will say maybe people are not as attached as they used to be to their home or their hometown even, again, possibly driven by the fact that it's so easy to get back. Uh, that has some other interesting impacts in my view. One is, in the old days, when you went abroad, you used to try and make your abroad as much like home as you could, because you were a long way from home, and it made you feel comfortable. Now, because it's so easy to get back home, when you go away, you want to be able to experience the place you're going to, and you don't want it to be wrapped up in home-like feelings. You want it to work like things that you like working, but you also want it to to, to immerse you in the place you're visiting. Mm -hmm. And so we're trying to make sure that, you know, when our our guests come and stay, 
they they get an experience of where they're at that we try dare i say it in this sort of pc world but it feels english they're coming to england and we want them to have an english feeling about it we don't want it to be so international that you could have been staying anywhere uh, and uh, so that's one of the issues i think the other issue is uh, because these stays are getting shorter uh, and and that's an interesting argument generally as to who wins from that. Uh, obviously, there's an argument that says if you have somebody who stays for three months, it's less hassle than having 10 people to stay for, uh, you know, for, for three days. Um, but um, uh, or, or, or for nine days. Um, so uh, but, but the flip side of that is uh, the experience you can give them uh, can be different uh, as a result of you aren't bedding them in for so long. Um, so I, th I think there are th the arguments going both ways. From, from a service department point of view, I think it, it works very well. The short stay can easily be catered for. The immersive experience you can give much more easily maybe than many of the five-star hotels who are really putting you into uh, an environment that is pretty standard wherever you go. Um, and uh, the very fact that you haven't got on-site restaurants and all this sort of thing invites people to go out and immerse themselves in the community, experience local restaurants, meet people from the country that you're living in. And I think that is, uh, as I say, becoming ever more exciting and interesting and desirable from our business travelers. You can, as you kind of look into the future, you can say, you know, having that sort of local, authentic sort of ability to kind of immerse yourself and sort of be in the place, but then at the same time, it has to work. You have to have that business infrastructure, that travel mm -hmm. infrastructure, so that you can at least get done what you need to get done. But at the same time, like you said, not making it so bland, not making it so continental or international or however you would term it from before, but being actually very local. So in a, in a way, it actually say that, you know, in, in, in one way of looking at the future, the future is very local, that, mm -hmm. that the local is what is pulling those those kind of travelers in, which I think is a, that's a that, that's a that's a really good point. The other one minor point that I, uh, maybe belongs in this, which I, I, I haven't got to, is that the employers, because these stays are shorter, they need their staff to get up to speed quicker. Uh, so it's about giving them an environment where they actually can be effective for their employer as soon as possible. Uh, and that is something we're really having to try and focus on, I think, in our sector. David Smith, thank you so much for joining us on Navigating the Noise. We really appreciate you calling in from Cyprus. I think that perspective, the fact that you are living that life of the mobile workforce, but then also making those changes and prepping for the future, I think is really helpful for us mm -hmm. on the show. So thank you so much for joining us. No problem. Very nice to be with you. So Marianne, as we're looking and exploring the future of mobility, who's the next guest you found for us? Our next guest is Peggy Smith. She's president and CEO of Worldwide ERC, the Employee Relocation Council. You cannot have a discussion about global mobility without her expertise and her perspective. So under her guidance, Worldwide ERC delivers next-gen content, community and engagement to talent management, and mobility professionals. Peggy recorded her thoughts to share with you. Hi, this is Peggy Smith with Worldwide ERC. Super excited to provide um, some insights over to our friends at Chippa and to Marianne Passy. 
from my perspective, the future mobility is very, very exciting. You know, when we look at what is being reported in the news and sort of the multi-generations that are now in the workforce, the future is very bright. Because what do we know? We know that most people want to have an experience. They're moving less away from acquisitions and more into experiences. Well, the last time I checked, you can't have an experience without having mobility engaged. So I think it's very bright. It's gonna be a little bit different but you're also seeing a continued, um, what I would call, uh, excitement around extended business travelers, which suggests that the future mobility, regardless, is very, very bright. Well, you know, I think corporate housing businesses, uh, or their business will come from some of this movement of people from an extended business traveler. So it's gonna be in the traditional lanes as well, but it's also gonna be in other lanes that get served up to them. So when you look at, uh, you know, people that are you know moving through a traditional long-term package but you also look at people that are just moving it uh, away for a little period of time the other thing that i think is super exciting for our friends in the corporate housing space is less and less people are choosing to want to stay in traditional hotels so if you look at what's happening with leisure or blending business with leisure and the explosion quite candidly with um, other models like the airbnb model what you're finding and learning is that corporate housing has a very real role to play in that because people are saying, you know what, they don't want the hotel experience, they'd rather have the homey experience or the experience that a corporate housing provider and solutions providers from them can provide. It doesn't take much to flip on a TV anywhere you are in the world when you look at all the strife. I mean, right now, today, we flip on the TV and we see the infernos that are occurring out in California. All those people, all those families that have been evacuated are displaced. So do you care, first and foremost, is shelter. It's one of the primary and primal needs. I think corporate housing providers can provide this in a couple of different ways. One is through their traditional business route that they have, their corporate entities, who may have employees or families that are displaced as a result of a tsunami, as a result of a natural disaster, or I can even recall way back when there was the Arab Spring Rising. You had family displacement. But more so, if you look at it just from pure compassionate lens, as I mentioned, a lot of these people are just families that whose fundamental basic needs of shelter and food have been completely disrupted through no you know, doing of their own. So you know, when they reach back in at the end of the day, they're one of the few elements in this HR space that we're in that ties to the compassionate component. And you know, you need a roof over your head. And I think this is something that they are so well connected to help us with globally. From a volume perspective, again, I continue to feel very bullish about the activity of movement. We know we have a full employment model globally. And we also have countries that are choosing maybe a more nationalistic approach, which is making some of the activity across certain borders difficult. But as one border is sort of, you know, being a little bit more restrictive, you're seeing other countries choose to be a little bit more uh, ambitious with this. For example, Canada has its 1 million um, tech workers by 2020. So from my lens, all things said and done, I think it is, you know, continues to be very bullish around the volume. It just may not be the type of uh, experience and suite of benefits that we had in the past. Um, you're gonna have tremendous disruption here today in the US. Amazon just announced its two HQs. You know, one will be um, here in Washington DC area, one in New York City and Queens. That's a tremendous amount of movement even occurring within the United States. So volume is going to be up.
Hello, everybody, and welcome to section three of the podcast that we call Three Things to Do. This is where Marianne and I look back on the episode and all the conversations that we had, and we try to identify three things you can do, three pragmatic things you can do today to prepare for the future. And on this, our final episode of season two, we were looking at the future of mobility. And not so much just the future of mobility when it comes to technology, but the future of the workforce, of mm -hmm. people being mobile, of markets being mobile, and kind of looking out across it. Um, so it was kind of a, a bigger, broader I idea for, for our final episode. And I think we came up with some really good three things to do. Um, Agreed. Definitely in the, in the conversations that we had with people, they were um, definitely very interesting. So our first um, thing to do, our first thing to do is design. Design local experiences for global travelers. Thought this was fun. I, I think we heard this in, in one of our previous podcasts in season one, but it really came out here that what people are doing because of the ease of travel, people are really not looking to replicate their home when they're traveling. They're looking at being able to go someplace and experience something local because then they're going to go back home. So this could be experiencing a city, mm -hmm. thinking of a, a city as a brand or a city as a place. But then also there was that interesting idea of how can you maybe bring in other brands like how could you like brand a floor what was the idea of like having a harley davidson floor mm -hmm. or something like that i thought that was really interesting yeah i think david also brought up a, a, a fascinating aspect of it in terms of when you're designing these local experiences that you need to consider the length of stay so you may have one type of experience for a shorter stay and then another completely different experience or more enhanced or more in-depth experience for a longer stay so that you're giving everyone um if they're uh, different experiences for different amounts of time. So I thought that was really interesting. I've not heard that before. Um, and then he also uh, touched on, you know, using this as an opportunity to brand these experiences for their individual companies as well. Yeah, yeah. So I think that that design, that local experience for global travelers, I think has a, has a lot of legs. There's a mm -hmm. lot of things that, that mm -hmm. you could do about it. So that was number one. So number two, I think, is very hard-nosed, and I think there's just yeah. there's not a lot of discussion. I think it's just it has to be this way. So if you're designing local experiences for global, global travelers is number one. The second thing you have to do is make sure that your business infrastructure works. I think time and time again, you have to make sure that the infrastructure, that could be your communications infrastructure, your technology infrastructure, that you just need to figure out, all right, that has to work. So when people are mobile and they're moving around, they're going to need technology more and more, and they're going to rely on their technology more and more. And that means they're going to rely on your business infrastructure, your IT infrastructure. So you've just got to make sure that works so people can get business done. And that's mm -hmm. going to free them up to be even more mobile and do these other really interesting right. things. So that was number two. Now, number three, I thought this one I didn't see coming. And it started off with Rennie at the beginning, and it, we kind of found it more and more. And I know that you've got some interesting ideas on, on this, Marianne. But number three is explore subscriptions. And this idea that you don't have to own everything, that you can actually, what would it mean to have a subscription? And I know I thought about it as saying, well, what would that mean for your consumers or your mm -hmm. clients or your customers or your guests? Like, what could you do with what you do in your business that might be flipped to a subscription? Mm -hmm. You may not have to, you know, rent a space. Could you subscribe to a space? You may not have to, you know, get a certain product. You could actually subscribe to it. I thought it provided more flexibility and it doesn't matter your size. You could be a very large company, a mid-sized company or a small company. How could you explore this subscription idea to just enliven your offering 
to your customers. But I know, Marianne, you had a whole different take on it. Well, I thought what Rennie mentioned is something I never heard about before. So he mentioned like Grover and the concept to subscribe for appliances. So I thought from a smaller uh, company perspective, maybe again, you don't need to invest capital in, in buying some of these things in order to offer them to your clients and guests. So exploring uh, some types of subscriptions for the guest experience, you know, figure out how to get it to them. And you maybe don't have to pay for it. Maybe pass it along, but figure out how to, um, again, incorporate what people experience in their regular life and the subscriptions that we all live in every day and, and bring that into their, uh, their visit. Yep. So those are your three things to do. Number one, design. Number two, make sure that that business infrastructure works. And number three, explore subscriptions. And if you can do those three things, you'll really be better set up for the future of mobility and that kind of mobile workforce. Well, that brings us to the end of episode 11, but Marianne, that also brings us to the end of season two. It does. Season two of Navigating the Noise, all done. Uh, wow, what a great season. It was a fabulous season. We had a, a studio. We actually got to see each other. We did. And we got to see all of our guests or most of our guests. That mm -hmm. was amazing. So thank you so much for a great, great season. Thank you, BDJ. And as, we, and as we normally have to do, mm -hmm. which she hates it when we do this. I know we have to I do know. this. We have to... Uh, we have to thank the, the, the woman behind the scenes, the mm -hmm. woman behind the curtains that makes this all happen, uh, Shelly Fenninger. We thank you so much, Shelly, for all the work that you do and all the work that you and your the team do um, online and on the website to make this really a great podcast. Absolutely. They create the transcri they transcribe every episode. They create the infographics. They create the web page. They create all the resources. Um, they, they connect those for all of you. So thank you, Shelly, and thank you to the CHPA team. You want to take us to the exit? I can do that. So thank you to all of you for listening to Navigating the Noise podcast brought to you by CHPA. Please reach out to us and let us know what else you'd like to hear about, what else you'd like to ask BDJ, or just to help us stump the futurist. You can email me at map at chpaonline.org, follow us on Twitter at chpaonline, or visit our website www.chpaonline.org. Thanks, everyone, for joining us here on Navigating the Noise, brought to you by CHPA and ASAP. We'll talk to you again soon. <laughs>